0: If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. Maven makes the highest quality optics at half the price of their competitors through their direct-to-consumer business model. The brand new B7 represents the expansion of their compact lineup and is designed to be more compact and portable than their acclaimed B3 Bino. With a smaller objective lens, the binocular takes a significant leap in terms of size reduction. The B7 is available in both an 8x and 10x option, making it their most compact premium binocular yet. If you're looking for something that will fit in your pocket for deer hunting, turkey hunting, or scouting missions, but still want crystal clear optics, check out the new B7 from Maven. All their optics come with lifetime no-fault warranty. If you run it over with your truck or your significant other chucks it at your head, they'll repair or replace it. Use code EastMeetsWest-GIFT for a free gift on any full-price optics order at mavenbuilt.com. Better Backstrap's mission is to provide the highest quality seasoning for the meat you work so hard for. They wanted to give hunters another choice besides the big box store brands full of fillers and preservatives. Born right here in Pennsylvania, Better Backstrap seasonings will turn up the taste of your wild game. Right now, you can pick up their sampler gift box, which includes gun season garlic, tall tine taco, and the original seasoning in a custom gift box. You can use the code West for free shipping at BetterBackstrap.com. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line, heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsman, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can, is capable of holding up to 1600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop 10 on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Tonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by the CEO and founder of Spartan Forge, Bill Thompson. In the last few years, Bill hasn't hunted much for himself as he's been spending his time building the Spartan Forge app. But this year he spent more time in the woods and it really paid off with two Really old great bucks in Virginia and Pennsylvania. We discussed the types of areas Bill hunted this year, his old Virginia six point, why he won't hunt with a trad bow anymore, lessons learned from hunting the big woods of PA, hunting privileges in America, deer camp, and much more. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday story of the week, this story comes from Shelb. Oh, geez, I can't talk today. This story comes from Shelly Lawrence out of Pennsylvania. She wrote in, it took me 15 years to get my first buck down. I had many close encounters over the years with multiple deer that were younger and larger bucks, but the stars never aligned for me. November 13th, me and my husband were making the trek into the woods yet again to see if we could make it happen. He went off to his own stand and I went off to mine. I had previously sat in this stand three other times and didn't see anything. We had a camera near this particular stand and that week the rut activity was crazy at dusk and dawn. So I figured why not try to see if I can make it happen. The sun came up and I saw nothing but a few squirrels. I was starting to get cold and impatient, so I was standing up, bouncing around, trying to warm my feet up. Out of nowhere, a doe came busting over the hillside straight towards my shooting lane. I quickly grabbed my bow and came to full draw, knowing that the area she would cross was 19 yards. Right as I was ready to give it to her, I heard something else crash down the hillside. Thankfully, I came out of my peep to discover this deer had horns, so I remained at full draw and tried to determine if he was legal or not. Of course, his ears were covering his brow tines, so I let him walk through my shooting lane. I let my bow down and let him cross the small creek below me. I got my binos up and determined he was legal. I knew I would have a small window to shoot him from where he was side-hilling. I drew my bow back and hit him exactly where I was aiming. I saw my arrow lying on the ground after he took off. I radioed my husband about the news and he made me wait 45 minutes to get down. Longest damn minutes of my life. At that point, he came over to help me track the deer. We went over to discover my arrow only got four inches of penetration at that point and my heart sank. We tracked straight up the hillside about 80 to 100 yards and looked over the edge to see my first buck laying there expired. Once we gutted him, we discovered the four inches of penetration. I punctured through the front lung and one side of the back lung. After that experience, I will switch from mechanical broadheads to fixed blades. Such an incredible and humbling experience. I understand why you always talk about the roller coaster of bow hunting. Well, congratulations, Shelly. That is awesome. Such an awesome deer, and then the pictures are are showing your emotions perfectly. Super excited for it, and and I'm very happy for you that you were able to have that experience, and and continuing to be able to get after it over the years. So, congratulations. I hope that you have some continued success there. If anyone has a successful Mountain Buck Monday story they want to share, please send it over to my email, boatiesmeetswesthunt.com. Just a short paragraph or two and a few photos. Would love to be able to share them with everybody and put in the subject line Mountain Buck Monday and uh, would love to be able to share that. Uh in other news, I have uh so I have a couple of new Deer Camp hats that are pretty sweet if I must say so myself. They should be up on the website by the time this comes out. And uh some really old school uh looking hats that I had here and uh I'm I'm pumped to to get those out. And the uh, the ones that I the Deer Camp hats that I had with the ropes on them before, had been super popular, but they've been difficult for me to get a hold of. Um, but I was able to get some more in some different styles, and uh, yeah, they they turned out pretty cool. So you can check that out at EastMeetsWestHunt.com, and also uh, make sure you're signed up for the email newsletter. Uh, the information on the Mountain Bucks Scouting Camp for 2024 will be coming out mm-hmm. there first. And, uh, in the last two years, both years sold out in less than three minutes. So make sure you're signed up for that email list and, uh, would, and I'll be getting information out on that shortly and registration will open here the next couple of weeks. So, uh, it's looking like that the date for the camp is going to be the weekend of March 23rd, and it's going to be at a new location, but it will still be in, in Northern Pennsylvania. So, Uh, but anyways, I'll, I'll have more news coming out and email there soon. So make sure you sign up for that, please. And, uh, other than that, happy new year. I hope everyone had the great holiday season there and Christmas and new years and, and spend time with your family and everything. So I'm going to be heading out here to Ohio this weekend for muzzleloader season and, uh, Still doing a little bit of hunting here in PA when I get a chance to get out, but um, I have a lot, a lot more updates to to do with um, some more full length episodes from the, from the season, but they'll be coming here in the next month or so. With that said, I hope everyone has a great rest of your week. And if you like the podcast as always, please share it with your friends, family, anyone that you think that could benefit from it and give it a rating or review on Apple podcasts, Spotify, and subscribe on YouTube. We'll talk to you soon. All right, we're live. Bill Thompson, welcome back to the podcast. How are you, buddy?
1: Good buddy. How are you?
0: I'm good. It's funny, we've been uh we've been trying to get this this linked up in person um for a better part of a month now and it just hasn't lined up and we've been on a bunch of other meetings and talk uh seems like almost daily, but <laughs> to get the the podcast lined up is always difficult.
1: Yeah, at least daily we've been talking, I would say um yeah. it's not more so yeah we just haven't been able to do it this way I, i'm like when you talked about um podcasting what the heck am i gonna tell bo that he doesn't know
0: <laughs> well well it's funny because you know i was i was with you we'll we'll get into the stories about your season this year but when we were at camp and and doing that and it's like it's really hard for me to want to like pull from the vibe of like Everybody, you know, being around a successful day hunting and stuff to like, all right, let's go sit, put the mics on and sit down and do a podcast. Like, I don't want to ruin that experience and, and, uh, understanding of it. So it's, it's, it's hard, uh, like in deer camps and things to, to make it happen. Although it's always a little bit better in person.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Uh, And yeah, I mean, we had the time that we did have in deer camp also was awesome. It was freaking great time this year. It was awesome.
0: Yeah. Oh, most definitely, and you know so i'm I'm pretty sure anyone that's listening knows, but if they don't, bill is uh founder and c e o of Spartan Forge, which you've heard me talk about probably enough times to make your ears bleed uh but uh he you know bill's been on the podcast a bunch of different times here, and what what I think is is awesome about Bill is he's not only intelligent with being able to build this app and anything that he's tried to build with it to just like be be able to do that in a way that someone that has the tech side of it can do, but also from the hunting side and, and being an avid hunter. And even as crazy as your schedule was this fall, you seem to get out hunting or at least make the most of your time, which is kind of what you designed the app to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, some of the spots that I was hunting, uh, one of them was near a spot that I'd been before the first buck that I killed. Um, but definitely using, like I use the property annotation, getting in, getting access. I use the LIDAR stuff. So yeah, absolutely. I was able to, you know, piece things together from afar and then kind of optimize my uh, ability to move in and, you know, for me, have a great season.
0: Yeah, no, most definitely. And like, and and I know in like even the past few years, you struggled to get out as much as you would have liked with, with building this app and, and, and working and traveling and flying all over and all these different things and, and a family. And, and this year too, I mean, you you moved houses during hunting season, (laughs) which actually kind of led to the, the first, the first success that you had
1: Yep, exactly. Yeah, all kinds of stuff going on. I made it like I hadn't killed a good buck in three. This this would have been my third year of not killing a good buck, or not killing a buck. I hadn't killed any bucks. Um, I had a shot at one last year that I blew. Um, I missed totally. Um, but yeah, I, I I prioritized. I I told myself I can test the app and digitally scout at the same time. Which is not like in the past when I'm testing the application, I have a script that I go through and I say, I want to do X, Y and Z, get in and get out of the application, make sure that everything is fixed um, or that as we do updates or push updates or whatever. And you know how it ta- how it goes because you are one of the testers. But I have a script of things that I run through. And for me, it was like a systematic thing where I just want to get in and out. And I told myself this year, I'm going to actually just use the application for scouting like a normal human being would. And, and leave some of the more rigor testing up to you know we've hired people, we've got people on the research team this year that your brother um, um, is a lead, leads on for us. Um, we've got more developers. We've got more people now that can do more of the rigor. so I'm more, I'm using it more like a, a user. And um, I just told myself that I was going to focus on scouting digitally as much as possible and then going out, whether it's knocking on doors or seeking access or, um, setting up trail cameras or whatever it was that I was doing that, um, I was, I was using the application in that regard. So that helped me a lot because a lot of times I can't separate the persona of CEO and tester versus Hunter. It's too, for me, I have, um, it's really odd actually. And it's, probably a whole other podcast that I could get into, I kind of have modes of my, my persona and I don't switch them easily. Um, it actually occurs the same with like uh, in the military, I learn French and, and Russian. And not only is it, it takes me a little bit to get into another language, but then when I get into it and I start to refresh and use it, and I mean like in, in like a couple of hours, I can quickly like kind of fall into a mode where I'm fluent and I can um, use words in a way that where my brain has to kind of shift gears. And it's the same thing with hunting versus scouting versus testing. And so I just told myself I was going to stay in that hunter gear whenever I was using the application this year, because I could afford to, I had other people looking at the application and it was like, in days past, it was just me (laughs) testing uh, you know, and especially the first year it was just me. Um, so I, I couldn't afford to use the application like I would, I needed to make sure I was going through every feature. So that's a long way of saying this year was kind of the first year in the four or so years that I've been doing this, that I was able to kind of get back to actually using my app the way that I would use it. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, I mean like, and it's, it's funny, I can really relate to the changing gears thing because I, for me, I I was, I've always struggled with getting out of work and then going to hunt for a couple hours in the evening. I felt scatterbrained. I felt like I'd make mistakes. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And even, even now I struggle with it. So I've, I've really like, I, I, I've gotten better with being able to do like half day things like, all right, I'm going to, you know, I'm lucky now I can be flexible with my time and my work. So say I'm going to work six hours in the morning and then go out for four to six hours in the evening, I've gotten better at being able to do that. But I struggle with it. Like I was, I was talking uh, to my girlfriend about it and I was like, you know, she'll be like, yeah, you say you're going to go out hunting in, in, in the evening. But if you do that and you're working in the morning, you end up just keep working, working. And then you're like, oh, I, I don't have time to go out anymore. And I've always struggled with that, that going back and forth. And I've seen that with you, even from the standpoint of, so when you're in work mode and we're talking like a lot of times our, our conversations are short to the point. They're, they're about, you know, whatever topic needs to be done, needs to be done for the app or testing or whatever. And it's, it's done. It's moved on. When you come up, you know, when you come to PA, especially, cause that's when I see the most and you're at camp with us and you're out hunting, it's like a whole different version of bill that you see. You're very, you don't, See, even though you might have a million things other going on, you've been able to like turn it off and focus on being present in that moment and spending time at camp, having conversations about whatever, and and then focusing on the actual deer hunting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's no, you're, you've nailed it. And, and just to kind of harken back on a point that you just made, I also find, and for me, it's kind of a hack, but I also find I can only hunt in the morning whenever I'm working. Um, because I'll wake up. I will go straight to the hunt. I'm kind of in that mode whenever I'm on the, like what I love doing, it's I've always done it and I'll always continue to do It's always listen to podcasts about hunting on my way to hunting. It does a couple of things for me. It helps me get into that mindset. And, um, and it, it also kind of hype, hypes me up when I hear people passionate about hunting, talking about hunting. It's actually one of the reasons I always listen to you, always listen to your podcast and like one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. And I've done it actually this year was one you and your dad did a couple of years back. Um, and I think it was mostly focusing on scrapes. Um, I, I bet you I've listened to that podcast three or four times. And I actually told your dad while we were out there this last time it, it, your father and you are, and I'll say it about a few people. Um, it's like you, your father, Johnny Stewart, Lee Ellis, and Garrett maybe are like my short list of people that can tolerate an in-depth conversation about deer February 15th. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I I'll go four hours with Garrett about something, um, super esoteric about hunting or yourself. Um, I imagine I'd be able to do it with your dad where you can kind of get into that. Like, um, moat. I don't know what to call Well, I do kind of know what to call it. Um, but it's a separate conversation, but essentially you get into something where you're having an honest exchange of information and you kind of feel like you're dancing with the other person in in a, in a conversational way. And you also feel like you're both in kind of a flow state and you get really into the subject matter. And you know that the person that you're engaging with thinks about it and cares about it just as much as you do. Um, I can do that with that list of people about hunting anytime of the year Whereas a lot of my buddies, especially guys I used to hunt public with back in the day, I had a group of guys that I hunted with, like come February, they're like, dude, I'm done talking about hunting, like anything about hunting right now, like anything but hunting. And that group, I can continually get into hunting. So the reason I bring that up is whenever I'm driving into my spots, I kind of help myself, psych myself up and get into that flow state. And I'm thinking about hunting or if something might shine to me. So I listen to those podcasts in the morning. And I find it's a lot easier for me to stay focused on the hunt and to be thinking about the hunt. And I work really hard to be present while I'm hunting and actually enjoying it. And, 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 and um, I constantly remind myself that I'm doing what I want to be doing when I'm hunting, because sometimes you can forget that. And then you lose the focus or you start getting distracted or you start scrolling through Instagram or I start working through e- emails. Or something like that. I've I, one of the things I've been super successful with when I'm hunting is is dispatching with that. And it all starts with me with listening to a podcast in the morning, switching into that gear, and, and then getting on stand, um, hyped up and excited to be there. And that's kind of my process for that. And and that all goes back to you to put a bow on what we're t- kind of talking about is um, getting into that gear in the morning, staying in that gear while I'm hunting, and then also like. I'm done at 9:30. If I kill, I'm tracking in the sunlight. I, I put it in the back of the truck. I'm back home by 11, um, as long as everything goes well. And then I can work till 8, and I can still do seven or eight hours, and then shift into, um, you know, Spartan Forge mode. And 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 to me, like I'm gonna do it. I want to do it tomorrow morning. I'm gonna go hunt tomorrow morning. I want to go kill a doe. I'm in Virginia. There's a big buck that I've been after. And I'm still getting, I still would have had some opportunities on. I need to kill a doe first. So I'm going to get out in the morning and try to go kill this doe and then get after this other buck. Um, So my goal is to wake up at 345. Um, I want to be in the stand by 6 a.m. You know, I like to at this spot, I need to be in there at least an hour before sunup. Um, and, And I could kill two or three does there in the morning, hopefully at least one. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of the process. And then I can be at my desk by 10 AM and still work a full day.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. And I like, I like the way that, that you've compartmentalized that and like figured that out, that works for you. And it's, it's funny because I feel like that's something I need to do when I'm doing these part day, day thing, as far as doing the mornings, because it's, it's the same way. Once you commit to setting your alarm and waking up, you got your bags packed the night before you have any of your snacks in the fridge, whatever you need, everything's ready to go. You go out, you do your thing, and then you come back and do it. And it's the, the podcast thing is funny because i listen to podcasts, hunting podcasts on the way to hunting. And then on days when I'm working in the morning, I listen to business related podcasts while I'm cooking breakfast or drinking coffee or doing, because that's what I'm doing for the day. And it kind of like gets you almost like motivated or focused on that, that task. And that's, that's super interesting.
1: Yeah. And, and, and I, I, I really, cause my hunting time now is so I used to, I used to spend the month of November and I used to make jokes about this on podcasts, but you know, with my wife, I would say, you know, when my wife says she needs a task done around the house, I work on it, I get it done, but come like October 25th, the focus is hunting until December 1st. And if I have a spare moment for anything, I'm not doing honey do lists. I'm not, you know, closing the pool i'm not sweeping the driveway everything else we used to go by the wayside and i'd focus on hunting for a month um and i'd take my vacation or if i had half days or whatever everything was devoted towards hunting and now like this year i've hunted like maybe total 14 or 15 days um and i i really work hard hard on not overlooking the 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 privilege it is to hunt and to and to really work hard on being present while i'm hunting and not to get distracted because it's so easy to get distracted um and and i try to i try to do that in every aspect of i'm trying to do that in every aspect of my life is to make sure you know i'm very present in things especially uh, my little ones are all growing up and um i you know i'm gonna have an 18 year old daughter here next year um and so my time there is limited. So I'm really working hard to be present in all of these moments. And that means, you know, I turn the phone off at night at, you know, at, at, at seven, um, you know, dinner at the table. But then also, because hunting is so important to me, I don't check the phone unless I have to, um, you know, I turn off alerts, I go on silent mode. I do all of that stuff because um, it, it, it's just a privilege. It's all a privilege. Everything that we're doing, like The lives that we have even right now where we're able to think about and talk about hunting all of the time and then go out and hunt and then how are we going to improve the product um, and how are we going to test things and how are we going to do things and then be able to go out and hunt and do that. I think for a lot of people is a a dream come true and I think we do everyone in the industry a disservice when we don't recognize that and work hard to um, treat the opportunity like it could be gone at any time.
0: Yeah, no, I, I I don't, I don't disagree with that whatsoever. And, and, you know, so with that, with that being said, you know, this year, you know, trying to make the most of your time that you had and, and focusing on the hunt. So in, in Virginia, you know, you just moved into a new house and you're trying to find opportunities to hunt, you know, relatively close to home and be able to and, and that's, you know, I know you like to hunt a lot of big woods. You like to hunt a lot of public where you can just go and do whatever, but sometimes you can't always do that depending on what your situation is. And you were in a situation where you had to make the most of some small properties and some things close to home. So explain a little bit about that and what that process looked like.
1: Well, I had access on a property years back that I really didn't take advantage of like I should have. Um, it was a friend of mine's property in the area, and the kind of like you said, the that land it never really beckoned to me. It didn't like hunting urban properties. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's awesome, and you can kill amazing deer on urban properties. But you said it before, and I really do like going and getting lost, and I love hunting spots that I've o- either only been in hunting season, or you know, I might only sit there three times in a year. And it's really out there in the middle of nowhere and there's some exploring that has to get done i i really love that aspect of it and there's something about that will always attract me to public big open land public land timber mountain hunting where you're going to some place that you might only go to a few times in your life you um you know you've made a lot of preparation and you've done a lot of scouting and you were maybe there in the off season and now you're going to walk in. I love getting in there super early in the morning. I also like getting in sometimes at first light. Don't get me wrong, but I love getting in there super early and the hike and the process and everything that's involved in it. Um, And then watching it come together and seeing like, like a lot of times you won't ever see a deer in a lot of these spots that we hunt because the deer density is low and you know, that those bucks are moving everywhere and you know, they're also very elusive. And so when you get to see them, you know, it requires a grind and a mindset where you're always focused, you're always trying to stay not distracted and stay on your on your on your P's and Q's. Um, and if you get distracted for even a little bit, like we saw with a buddy of ours at the Veterans Hunt a couple of years ago, you'll blow the whole opportunity. Um, like, you know, it's, it's that it's being present is the difference between going home empty handed or not and having a memory for the rest of your life or it's just being another you know uh you know going home eating tag soup so uh, when i got to this spot out here i told myself again like look man this is your you don't have the two hours it's going to take to go to your old haunts and drive and camp and do the type of hunting that you used to do so um, in that area where I had access, I knew where the deer were coming from. I knew where they went to. I knew where they were unpressured and pressured. Um, there were other hunters in the area. So knocking on doors and getting access and dropping cameras and stuff um, was something I didn't to, to also because I, uh, how close it was to me and because I, uh, I also wanted to test the features inside of the application that I was using, one of them being like our property annotation tool where I will mark all of the properties where I want to go and knock on doors. I mark them yellow. If I get turned down, I mark it red. And then if I, if I get access, I mark it green. And then I can visually look at that on the map and then kind of get an idea of how I think the traveling is happening and where they're coming from and where they're going. Um, and that visualization really helps me from an analytical standpoint. And that's what I did with this property. Um, and, and, um, uh, essentially the morning that it all came together and I don't know if you want to go into the story or not, or how you want to handle it. But, um, uh, I had gotten in to the spot where I knew deer were going to be coming from just with my headlamp. It was like, there was like a river and then a crossing and the deer would stage over there and then move through and they were pretty reliable. Well, that morning that they were coming in, Um, I was walking in and I saw with my headlamp, I could see all the eyeballs and I was like, oh man, this sucks. (laughs) I'm not going to be able to do anything. Well, I knew that there was a large scrape that was kind of to my West.
0: The Spartan Forge app utilizes years of military background and machine learning to pull from millions of data points to accurately predict deer movement with over 30 years of GPS collar data, trail camera data, academic and state research. The app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery, mapping, journaling and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. The latest update is huge. One feature that I'm using a lot during the rut is LIDAR. LIDAR basically removes the trees from the landscape and allows you to see every nook and cranny, logging road, boulder, etc., with some areas having one meter data, which just means that you can see any deviation in the land as small as three feet. During the rut, I will look for logging trails that intersect with key terrain features such as ditches or draws to funnel deer movement. Use the code East meets West to save 20%, and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at spartanforge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. I hadn't messed around with modern muzzleloaders until last season, and when my buddy had a CVA, I was extremely jealous of the ease of use, accuracy, and ability to take some brush beating. I couldn't wait to get my hands on one for myself. CVA doesn't only build badass muzzleloaders. Their centerfire rifles are quality built and budget friendly, built for deer camps across the country. Head over to bpioutdoors.com slash CVA to check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST10 for 10% off CVA products and accessories.
1: Um, Where I had access... And there was, I, I remembered there being like a deadfall because I actually thought about hanging a tree um, and, 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 and getting up. One of the things I'm looking at when I'm looking at tree stands is not only am I in the right wind for the tree stand, but am I in the right wind for my direction to the tree stand so that the deer aren't winding my trail whenever they're coming in or wherever that they, so I like to go where there are trees growing out of like blowdowns. Because the traffic, the, the opportunity for traffic, there can be less of an opportunity for traffic. So I remember that there was a blow down there. So I decided to just go on the ground. Um, and and um, I knew that that scrape was there. But I also knew that there were a ton of deer over there. So I felt like there was, in that opportunity on this first buck, um, there were two bucks in that area that I would have killed. I think I showed you pictures of both of them. Yep. There was probably like a four-year-old. Um, that I'm hoping to hunt next year that I think was like an 11-pointer. And then there was this six-pointer. He's really a seven-pointer. He's got a tiny kicker on the back of one of his antlers Um, that was really old. Um, And I've sent his teeth off. I'm not exactly sure how old he was, but I I would bet he's at least seven or eight years old, if not older. Um, So I've, I've had them both on this scrape, this camera that I put over a scrape, which I put all of my cameras over scrapes. Um, almost all of them. Very rarely will I put them on anything else. And so I sat down in this, this, where all of these trees were on the ground. And, um, I, I could, so as the buck was approaching, I knew that the wind was right. I, I knew everything was correct. Um, and as the buck was approaching, I just couldn't get a good look at his antlers. And it wasn't until he was right behind the tree that the, um, the, the licking branch was on that I could get a good look. And then I was like, oh crap, this is my buck. I really didn't think it was the buck. Um, cause it was just, you know, you don't expect it. And, um, really my goal that morning. And I think I might've told your brother this. Um, but my goal that morning was actually to grab, get some pee from a doe and, and, um, and freshen scrapes in the area with some of that pee. And I, so I was going to kill the first thing that I saw regardless that buck came in. And then I was like, oh man, that's that six pointer. And, as soon as he, his head went behind that tree is, cause I was on the ground and I was very exposed. Like he would have saw me if I had started moving. So as soon as he went behind that tree, I drew, as soon as he got his head up into the, um, up into the, uh, the licking branch, it was a bunch of branches. There were a bunch of licking branches over it. It wasn't a community scrape, but it really was a large scrape. It wasn't like one of the, you know, hoods of a car scrapes and multiple, multiple licking branches, but it was a large scrape that multiple bucks worked and it had a few licking branches on it. And so I also like to wait until, when I'm shooting on a buck who's in a scrape, I like to wait till they're getting their head into those branches because I feel like they're less likely to A, see me, but then B, to hear or jump the arrow because their head's inside of the, inside of the, um, the licking branch. Or, you know, they're in there going nuts, however, whatever there is uh, that, that they're doing with their preorbital gland um, on the branch. So I shot. And as soon as I loosed the arrow, I didn't I couldn't really quite see it clear, even though my everything was totally clear. I just didn't see an arrow. And I, and I shot him and I was like, did I just like the buck just kind of moved? And I'm like, did I shoot this buck? Like what happened? And so he's like looking around and I'm like, what? What is going on? Well, he kind of jumps backwards back behind that same tree that he had and kind of spun around. So now he's like almost facing me um, on the other side of the tree. And i knocked another arrow and put another one right through the front of him. And as soon as a shot hit, like a ton of blood came out. And I was like, okay, now this guy's dead. And no question, he's dead. So he didn't bound off far and, and, and went down. And I actually texted um drew a, a friend of ours well seek one from seek one and said i think i just shot a giant i am sure that he's gonna die uh, and he's right on the other side of this hill but i'm just gonna give him time it wasn't even a hill it was just like the ground had gone down a little bit and i could see exactly where he was and i knew exactly where he was so i waited quite a while and then got up went over there and the first shot was perfect clean pass through like uh just One in one side and out the other, and then the second shot was perfect too, just a a more front facing shot. And that one, um, the first one was just double lung, and then the second one was heart. So I'd nail them from both sides. (laughs) And when you look at the pictures of me with the buck, you can see the clean lung shot, and then when you look at some of the earlier shots, you can see the front shot as well. So it just must have passed through him so cleanly that he just didn't even know what happened.
0: That is, um, that is so crazy.
1: Yeah, it was insane. It was awesome. It was, it was well, like, I was so pumped.
0: That's the second time I heard that this year. I just did a podcast with Jason at Timber Ninja and his, with his buck, he shot North Carolina with the rifle. He shot it three times and he said it didn't act like he was hit and he was out of bullets and he didn't, he didn't even know. He's like, I don't even know if he's hit because he's not acting like anything. And he made three perfect shots on, on the deer and it just didn't act like he was hit. So yeah, it's it
1: insane. That's not the first time that's happened to me with a scrape either. I, I actually on my Instagram, I shot like a really good one it was like one fifty-five in Maryland on public land, and I the same exact thing happened, only I saw the arrow enter and I knew it was a perfect shot. And he didn't move. He continued working the branch. And I and and so I took my camera out to film and I could see the blood going boop. Out the side, and he just walked away, and then got like maybe 20, 20 yards, lost his feet, and fell over. <laughs> and then if you ever want to hear me really like praise the Lord in a really high voice when I'm obviously going through an adrenaline dump, like watch that video because at the end I'm like, oh thank God, and <laughs> like, um, and that happened. The same thing happened with that buck where it was just perfect pass through. Everything happened. Only I saw that arrow go through and I could see the blood just like just like a, a faucet coming out of the side um, and it's awesome feeling. But with that, that second one, that one that I just shot, when it came around the tree, I was so nervous because I was like, you cannot mess this up. Like you just messed up once and you don't know if like you, like, like when I'm re-knocking the arrow, I'm like, did I nail my sight somehow? Is there, did I do something? Is, did I not knock the arrow correctly? Is something yeah. going on with my fall away. Like you're all of that's going through your mind. So you're trying to look at everything while you're trying to get an arrow ready. And then you're like, now it's time to forget about everything and focus on trigger pull and get the second shot delivered. And so I really adrenaline dropped after that second one, because, you know, all of this stuff was happening and he's looking around the tree, like looking at directly at my area at my direction. And so, it was awesome. I mean, I'm a super old buck. Um, yeah, just everything about that was awesome.
0: Oh, that deer is, is so cool. It, I, um, when, when you first sent me the picture of it, like the rack is impressive as a six points, probably the biggest six point I'd ever seen, but the whole body and everything about it just made it. It's, I mean, it didn't make it look. It is just like an old, just gnarly looking deer super yeah. cool I have it on my other screen right now I'm looking at it and uh such such a cool deer
1: yeah and he was really the like the um I don't even know how to say it he just had like a regal presence about him the few times that I'd seen him on camera um he was always alone he, he just like something about bucks like that where you're just like oh, this guy's a professional like, Yeah, this guy just he's is he's at the top of his game and he knows exactly what he's doing and where he's going and everything happens with purpose. Um, It's kind of like seeing an old bird dog that really knows what they're doing. It's just, they're just a pleasure to look at and to be near and to witness and to be able to harvest an animal like that. And I'm just, everything about that deer is freaking awesome.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's, no teeth.
1: Like his teeth were just worn down.
0: No, that's just, that's super cool. And, and, and just like, I don't know. I looking at that buck, it's just one of those deer that to me, I dream of, like, you know, you think again, you think of a six point and you're like, what do you mean dream of six points? Like you see this deer, which I'll have photos and stuff that go along with uh, this, this podcast, but it's just such, such a cool animal. And I love those super old, gnarly deer. Like there's just something that can't be can't be replaced with that which kind of seemed to be the trend of of your season to be honest
1: yeah yeah it really was <laughs> I mean um again like I I live for the really old um if you tell me and I think I actually had this conversation with you I think we had this conversation just a little while ago but if you ask me like would you rather have a like a 140 inch four-year-old you know, with all of the you know trappings of a large antlered deer, or would you, or do you want like a 120-inch six-point eight-year-old? It's like I'm taking the eight-year-old nine times out of ten. There's just something about that um, where I, I think we're masochists, you and I, and guys like us, where we um, like for me the the adrenaline and the drop and the planning. And the effort and the pain that you go through um, makes the hunt more enjoyable, and it makes it like you're like you're um, you're you're making a difficult thing already difficult. Yeah. Um, that's already difficult. I'm sorry, you're making it more difficult. And um, there's something about that chase. Um, it's actually chase, you know the word chase in French is chasse. I'm sorry, the word hunt in French is chasse. It's the chase. It's where we get the word chase. So there's something about that in hunting where, when you can do that, um, and you can stack the odds against yourself, um, it's just, uh, it's awesome. I mean, I used to primitive bow hunt too. And I think I showed you the, the buck that got me off of primitive archery.
0: Yeah, you did. Um, (laughs)
1: And, you know, that buck, that, was, that buck was, I don't know, what would you guess he would have scored? I'm, I'm not even sure off the top of my head. I would guess he was 170 if he had one inch.
0: Yeah, that's, um, that's exactly what I would have put him at.
1: Yeah, 170, 175. I took a shot at him with a primitive bow, um, again, over a scrape. He bounded off to like 38 yards or something like that and stood there for the better part of 15 minutes. And with a with a compound, I would have been able to make the second shot if if I'd somehow missed that first shot, which I never would have missed with a, well, not never. Certainly I could have missed with a compound, but the second shot while he's sitting there, I could gather myself and my senses and deliver that second arrow at 38 yards, pretty much no problem. But with that primitive bow in my hand, I just had to sit there while he looked around and tried to piece together exactly what had happened. Um, and that's the last
0: time I shot a equipment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, and that's one of the reasons why I don't, I don't want to get into that because I, I don't know if I can deal with that as good as some of the guys that, you know, How off didn't. to anybody that does it because you, you've got to like doing that and that style of hunting more than you like actually being able to Artistic. be successful. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: I mean I, I had built that bow. like that bow is a bow that I had built. so and when I meant like a primitive archery bow, I meant it. like that was an Osage bow that I had carved down. I' had taken the sinew from a um, doe that I'd killed on my mother's farm um, and I put that sinew together from those straps. You know I had made glue by um, I don't know if people know this or not, but you can actually take the um, you can take the buckskin, or you can take even if you go and get like rawhide, you can boil it down. And then when you boil it, you distill it and you can extract glue out of the rawhide. And then you take the back straps from a deer, the silver skin, and then you slice it. <coughs> and from a deer, you can get a bow string. And so, and then you and then you work that glue into the string once you've put it together. And then that was the bow that I was using. So, oh, is that, that's not the one behind it, you, is it? Uh, no, this is one that uh, I got from Ted Nugent.
0: Oh, okay. Um, I don't
1: know if I I can show you quickly, but it was uh, I went and met Ted and and hunted out at his place.
0: Oh, that's sweet. And
1: uh, he had given me this one. So that was one um, that I'd gotten there. I have my other ones downstairs. I actually just broke one and I was thinking about getting back into it again. I think I would only hunt does with it. I just, I, I, I'm sorry, I can't take, handle the swings of, of, you know, having to be within 20 yards or all of that work is over. That, I, that, from, that broke me, not being able to kill that deer. And I'd spent two years hunting that deer and it just, that was enough for me. So, you know, I really get into the, to the challenge of it and making things difficult for myself. And I know that there's some ego involved in that. Obviously, you're trying to prove to yourself that you can do something that's very difficult. And yeah, I fully admit that. There, that is an aspect of it. And that is what it is. And if people don't like that, that's fine. Um, but uh, that is the reality of what motivates me is making things difficult for myself. And, uh, and and that that continues to call me to hunting. So that's what I continue to do.
0: Yeah. And, 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 and speaking of, of that, you know, after, after you were in uh, Virginia there and you were planning on taking some time off and like actually going to, you know, come to Pennsylvania, which you'd been doing now for what, three years?
1: That was my third, this, this was my third year up here. Uh, that, yep. Yep.
0: Yeah. So third year of, of coming to hunt uh, the big woods in Pennsylvania and, you know, you've been putting time in and learning and scouting and doing all these things and like super focused on, on being able to do that. So talk a little bit about th- that experience for you and you know, what you'd kind of learned and then kind of how that translated into this year.
1: I don't, that's a big question. I mean, yeah, uh, it, is. <laughs> it, it is because there's just so much right. there to unpack um the i guess the first thing is um i had hunted mountain country in 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 maryland and hunting that mountain country in maryland had gotten me to a western maryland had gotten me i would say um kind of unmoored from the idea that i should be seeing deer every time i go out into the woods. Um, and this was probably when I was quite younger too, by the way, like I had yeah. been hunting for a few years, but I really had no concept of what I was getting into with mountain deer. And it's actually yeah. how I discovered your podcast was I was looking for a mountain deer, um, you know, input. And um, so what, what I did, I, I really got my teeth kicked in the first couple of years I had hunted up there. And then I started to looking into like, you know, modeling deer behavior and GPS movement and inevitably what came out of that was Spartan Forge. But, you know, I'm a data guy and I'm driven by data. And one of the things that I found when I started to look at the mountain buck data was, you know, not only are they wily old bucks that, you know, really have a mastery of what they are in the woods to do, um, they, they're, they have you know, a larger home range, we'll say when it comes to like the rut and, and that if you're going to hunt those deer, you shouldn't be used to, you shouldn't be, if you're seeing a ton of other deer and you're targeting a six year old mountain buck, you're probably doing something wrong. Like if you're seeing tons of two year old bucks and tons of does, um, you're probably getting winded by that buck that you're hunting. um, And he probably knows you're there. If you're seeing a ton of other deer in most situations, not in all situations. So, Getting you know, and then fast forward with Spark, and I say all of that because I'm trying to set up my Pennsylvania experience. So I started by scouting with Johnny um, NPA, you know, a few years back. Now I don't even, was it three years now, four years? Scott, it's almost four years, Bo. Um, <laughs> and and um, and Johnny, like I said earlier, is one of those few guys who's as obsessed with deer as I am. And, I mean, we started scouting up there as soon as the season was over. Um, and, you know, having long conversations about deer and what, how, what we think about deer hunting and how we do it and where we go and all of that stuff. And, um, that first year, um, I, the, the year after the subsequent year after that, I hunted, um, with him and then, uh, you know, saw some bucks, didn't have any success, could have killed some younger guys. Um, but I knew that I, I wasn't expecting immediate success when I went up there. Like that would have been a fool's then. And then that spring, I ended up scouting with Steve Shirk and, and Johnny. And I think even maybe you one time, and we did a podcast. I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure we did. Um, and, you know, I picked out spots that I thought I was going to see movement. And then, or where I thought we would see deer. And we did a lot of boots on the ground. Most of it was done with Johnny and then some with you. And then a couple of times I went with Steve Shirk. And then that year, we had the veterans hunt. Um uh, the Spartan Forge Veterans Hunt It was the first year of it. So the spot that I had scouted that year, um, I had put a guy on a buck and he had an opportunity on a really good buck um, and that he ended up either falling. We don't know the nature of what really happened in that. <laughs> he was either asleep, not paying attention or whatever, but there was a really decent 140 that came by and I couldn't get his attention and I wasn't going to kill the buck. Um, well, well, uh, you know, I was sitting next to a guy who I was trying to put one on. And then I ended up having another opportunity on a really good buck that I just couldn't get a shot on near Johnny's place, um, later. And then that was kind of that season. And then the next year I didn't end up getting out there until gun season. And because we had the veterans hunt at a different location, I went out there for gun season and had an excellent shot on an excellent buck. And. Uh, he was just behind a, uh, a tree and I couldn't make it happen. Um, and then s- some other does taught me and they all took off and then, you know, did a lot of scouting there for the app and stuff this year going into this year. And, um, and the, the spot, the first few spots that I had hunted were spots that I had saw or understood or had lots of, It seemed to me like there were lots of deer going through these areas and I had found like a couple of smaller trails where I thought there would be movement and I hunted there pretty hard and really saw bubkis. Like I think for five or six days or something like that, um, I didn't see anything and then um, had some opportunities and I don't remember if it was maybe the sixth day or something like that or fifth day. I can't remember how many days I had been there, but Steve had said, Hey, I've got, I've got a spot that you, we had scouted a few years back. You should go check that out. And that was one of the first spots that him and I had went to. Um, And I I believe I went there and hunted or I hunted near it or something along those lines again, was not seeing anything. And I was like, man, I'm just having a bad year. And, but I, I was committed to, and the reason I told that story about Maryland earlier was, And I say this to everybody who wants to hunt mountain country, like you're not going to see the buck until you see the buck. And that could mean seven or eight days. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the time that I was getting into. And then Steve had said to me, he had said, you know, there's another mountain over or another area over, like go into this area. And, you know, I've, you know, I'm fairly certain that there are good deer up there. And or somebody that he worked with or had guided had seen good deer near there. And at this point, I was just like, I'm just going to go in there. If there's a decent three or four year old buck, I'm going to take it because I got to get back to work. And um, the wind kept shifting that day that I was going in there. So I ended up walking like where he was sending me was probably three quarters of a mile from where I ended up wanting to walk in from. Because the way that the wind was like, I started up the hill the way that he had said to go up the hill and the wind kept switching on me so i was like this isn't going to work because you know with the thermals dropping and the way that the wind was being pushed over there was just no way to get into that spot so what i figured what i what i decided to do is go all the way east to like the point of this hill and then walk myself in and i said i'm just going to stalk this hill like there's good deer being seen up here cuz essentially i don't know how to describe it but like if the hills in front of me like this at an angle towards you the wind was going like this like up and down like as i was going up there and throwing milkweed i just knew i was going to get busted if i got into where i thought i might be seeing deer so i came all the way from down the road and decided to just stalk across and my my hope was is that i'd be aware, aware enough to where if i saw something i could set up and it couldn't wind me by virtue of the way that the wind was going up and down the hill so i just started going from the Total opposite end, three quarter mile walk um, across this hill to try to get there. Well, as soon as I get up that hill, there was like a, um, a a logging road. And when I got up to the logging road, I heard like a and it was I've heard I've only heard this one other time before. And um, it was like a slow clicking grunt. I Don't know exactly what to call it, but it was like, you know, those noisemakers that people use at like parties and stuff. It's just like somebody recorded one of those noisemakers and like slowed it down 10 times.
0: Well, I think I, I, I sent you a
1: video of it, right? Well,
0: I I know exactly Well, you told me about it. And then a week later in West Virginia, the buck I killed did the exact same thing. And I was sitting under 20 yards from it while it was with a doe doing that. And I was literally kind of laughing to myself. I'm like, I hadn't heard that before. And then, it was exactly what you had described and i'd heard a couple other people talk about it this year too which it's i knew nothing of it
1: i knew nothing of it yeah it was such a cool noise it just sounded like a like take the grunt of a buck and slow it down and just make it a click every once in a while i don't know how else to make the vocalization but um it's like a slow noisemaker it's the only way i can say it and if somebody knows please dm me or message me because um, if someone knows what that is called, because it it is a grunt, I suppose. But anyway, it was loud, and that was the first thing I heard. And I was like, "What the heck is this?" And then I, I'm on the um, the logging trail, looking up and looking down. So I was kind of what I was doing was zigzagging across this logging trail, looking up, watching for a while, looking down, watching for a while, looking up, watching for a while, looking down, watching for a while, just trying to see movement. And uh, I heard this buck and. It was pushing a doe that looked very young. And this is like November
0: 7- 6th.
1: 6th? Was it the 6th? Yeah. yeah so the I'd, 6th. Okay. So I'd been there seven days. I got there on the 30th. So um, I, I saw him pushing this very young doe. It looked to me like a, a, I don't know. It couldn't have been more than 18 months old. There's just no way. I don't think so. And he was pushing her all over the place. And he was making that grunting noise and he pushed her into a, um, into a drainage until like, and I showed you the area. I've you've yeah. seen this, but there's like, there was like a drainage that went right down and when they slipped in there, they couldn't see anymore. So I literally was crawling up the road on my hands and feet, got right before that drainage and then, and then got over like, you know how the, there's a growth by the, the roads, usually where they mow and stuff or when they're freshly taking stuff out. I got over that, which was full of all kinds of garbage, and then started to make my movement up. Well, he had popped out again with her, and she had gotten out. He got in front of her and moved her down back into the drainage again. And I just was crawling hands and feet. I mean, I had still my pack on my back. I had my stand on my back. Um, My bow is in my hand, and I'm just going up the hill like as slow as can be. And um, I, I... I watched all of a sudden out of nowhere, this doe blows right past me and she's just like taken off (laughs) and I'm like, oh crap, like how is it possible that they caught my wind? I'm like, no, there's just no way because the way that the wind was going and I was throwing milkweed the entire time because I was so afraid of getting busted because of how unpredictable the wind was and she blew right past me and then then I looked and I could see him and I actually filmed it. He was like in this, like cut looking around, like, where did she just go kind of thing. And so I pop up and just hang my bow on like a broken, broken branch. And I'm behind like a massive old tree and I just get my grunt call out and I let a grunt out and he immediately like looks over to my area and I'm standing behind this massive tree on the ground and I film, I film again and I, cause he's probably 50 yards away or so. And then I, I, one more, and then he kind of looks away. So I do one more like longer, slower grunt and I'm just kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, what's the word? I don't even know what the word is, but you Kinda know, like when you're
0: ending grunt.
1: Yeah, no, no, it wasn't attending grunt, but like, um, when you open, you put your hand at the end of the grunt call and you kind of open it and close it and open it and close it. Yeah. You're nice just controlling
0: the pitch with the, yeah.
1: Controlling the pitch of the grunt, Right. And, and, um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so that one really got his attention and then he pops out and I ranged the tree that I thought he was going to pop out in front of. And I was like, was it 30? I think it was 33 or 38 yards. I can't remember off the top of my head what it was, but I said, as soon as he gets in front of this tree, like that's going to be your chance. Cause it, it was pretty thick up there. Yeah. Um, and they it, it, it came right out of the, out of this cut. Like it was really, really thick out of the cut. And sure enough, he came out and I shot and it was a little high on the lungs, but not, it was still a kill shot. And it actually, the arrow went through and stuck into the, um, the other side of the drainage. Like, so I could see it on the other side of the drainage, just coated with blood. And I was like, it's a good shot. This has got to be good. And I had, you know, had some other experiences. I'll, I'll say it this way that had informed, you know, being patient when it comes to tracking a deer. So I said, I'm not going to rush. I'm going to sit down on the ground and just sit here for an hour and I'm not even going to try to find blood. I'm not going to do anything. So I literally, and I don't know, people might make fun of me or whatever. I don't care. I sat down and like watched the podcast for 45 minutes and said, I'm not going to stand up till this po- podcast is over and start looking for this deer. Like anywhere it went, maybe it could see me. Maybe it was still looking at the area. Maybe the shot wasn't as good as I thought it was. I was just going to give this thing time. And then if I pick up good blood, I'm going to go and track. Well, the deer, I, 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 I waited an hour, got up, found the arrow, started tracking and the bucket kind of went up and over the mountain like towards the other side and um uh, i uh, towards the end i started to lose blood and i was like getting really upset and i was like oh my goodness what is going on here and i, I was finding just little drops of blood like it, it went from good blood to little drops of blood to where i'm like oh, am i have to call a dog what am i going to do i don't want to do this i'm i'm up on the top of a mountain like a quarter a mile and a quarter away from my truck um I, I i just the whole thing was deflating me and i was just like oh this is gonna be awful because i'm not finding blood and then i just look forward and found good blood again i get to the good blood i get to the point where i'm back on my like hands and knees searching to see where this went and then i get stand up and look and then i see him laying on the ground i'm like, oh thank god just like Throw my hands in the air, like just super happy, thanking the Lord. And um, I probably should have packed that buck out, but I was like, it's all downhill. It's gonna be, you know, I gotta get it over the hill, which wasn't so bad. Um, and then I'll get it down the hill. And I was like, I don't care. I'm so excited right now. I'm so happy. Um, the buck had like a gnarly rack. He was super old. Um, um, Steve had not ever seen, uh, had he seen. I think I believe he had never. He knew of that buck. He thought, I think he had said he thought it was somewhere totally different or, or he didn't think it was going to be in that area. Of course, I wasn't hunting anywhere near where he had said to go and hunt. Yeah. I'd started in off of this point. So I was kind of far away where he had thought I should go and look. Um, Cause like i had said, I'd been hunting other spots for days that were coming up empty. So I don't know if he was living around that point or if he'd just followed a hot doe over there or what but Steve had said he had been getting pictures of that buck for like seven years or eight years or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and um, that I, I want to say he, I, I could be wrong and he'll comment on the video if I'm wrong. I want to say that he is certain dollars to donuts that it's at least a 10 and a half year old deer. And it used to be like a one sixty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm, I'm certain I'm almost certain of that. And he had sent me some pictures of it but he had never seen it on the hoof and, and, and they had a name for it. They called him the mountain monarch. It was super old, had a massive rack like two or three years ago, still had a great rack. Like, don't get me wrong. He was still a great beer, great rack. Um, and so I, I pulled him off that mountain and brought him all the way down. And I was freaking, I could barely close my arms when I was done, um, you know, getting him down that mountain and off and, and all of the area that I had to traverse through. Um, but it was, a you know, absolutely fantastic hunt and, um, just, you know, you can't, I don't know how it could have happened any other way. Like it had to happen the way that it happened. Um, and, and, you know, things pay off in ways that you don't expect. And, um, it was what it was. It was awesome. It was an amazing hunt.
0: Well, and, and there's a, there's a few things from that too, that I think are, 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 good learning lessons like you know you're talking about well i think your decision on not just going to a spot just to go to a spot and saying you know, screw the wind where and i've learned this about you based on another spot that you were hunting earlier in a week you were showing me your route in which was absolutely crazy for how long it was i mean it was already a long walk and then you were adding an additional one and a half miles to the already literal two mile plus hike in to get there because of the way the wind was and the way the thermals were and how particular you were with that access. And without doing that, you wouldn't have ran into this buck. And it's like, it's, it's like by happenstance, did you run into it? Yeah. But at the same time, that wouldn't have happened if you were just like, Oh, I'm going to go do stick to my plan no matter what it's reading that situation using that woodsmanship understanding that what the wind was doing it's swirling all over the place i can't get in there clean the way i want to and then also the fact that that buck was pushing that doe around that drainage and that thick drainage man i've seen that so many times where they'll do that and they'll just keep kind of like herding them into that Thick cover of that that drainage, and they 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 stay around that spot, and then she'll squirt out a little bit, and then he'll try to you know cattle dog her back in, and yeah. and ha- and and it's uh it's it's super cool how that worked out, and that's where an advantage of being on the ground in those types of scenarios can help because you can move and and make the maneuvers that are necessary to be able to do that. Now, obviously, depending on the, the wind speed, how loud the leaves are, all those different things. It doesn't always make it work out, but when the conditions are right, man, that's such a deadly way to, to be able to do it, obviously. And I, I just remember cause it started pouring down rain on the, did it start pouring down rain? Yes. yeah On the, yep. on the drag out. Cause I remember you yep. sent us a picture to the group and, yep. uh, and I remember it being like, kind of like wet looking, it was a dark and I was like, that's a gnarly looking buck. And you're like, I'll be, I'll I'll come back to Johnny's camp tonight. So like rounded up, um, I was actually working that evening, uh, to be able to go hunt in the morning. And I was, I took the afternoon off and I was working and, and I remember, uh, talking to my dad, I was like, we gotta go. And, and Kurt was like, we gotta go Johnny's camp. See Bill's deer when it comes. And it was like, man, he's taking forever. But (laughs) because you had such a drag out and then, you know, drive and everything, but you got there and we showed up and saw that thing and it was just like. Oh my gosh. Like I literally just said the same kind of exact thing about your six point, your other one, but this was the same type of situation other than I saw it in person and actually yeah. got to, to witness it. And, and I gotta, I gotta send you some other, um, those photos again of your deer. Cause I don't know if they came through blurry or if when they posted, they turned blurry, but the photos I have that i had sent to you weren't, weren't blurry like that when you'd posted oh, on yeah, the yeah,
1: I'd, I'd love to see them. I mean, I, I'm still looking at that deer like every few days.
0: Yeah. I think it must've happened when I sent it, something happened in the, in the, the, it reduced the quality. But anyways, just to be able to see like the neck, the body, the rack, everything about it. And we, we got to camp and this was the the best part. So Gunner was there, um, And he was going to cook. I mean, it was like, holy cow, we have a personal chef that's yeah. here, uh, got under the hun- hungry huntsman and he was going to yeah. be there to, to cook it up and, and help butcher. And, and, Johnny just installed this, this new, uh, uh, deer hanger that he's got with his eye beam. And he's been talking about building this thing since he's got the camp. So yeah. off the side of his driveway, he wanted this eye beam that would swing over, get it deer out of a truck bed. And then swinging over the patio, you could sit in your hot tub, look at this deer, and like yeah. he had it all planned out. And it was a very good plan and a really nice I-beam, other than Johnny has rope from 1962 yeah. that he decides was <laughs> going to be the hoist rope.
1: <laughs> it was awesome. So, um, <sighs> that was so great. I mean, the, yeah, and, and the best part, and we'll, I'm going to get to John. Like, we haven't even gotten to Johnny yet. Like, I'm yeah. going to get to John. But I mean, one of the things before, um, I I think people might have heard what you said before about me taking the long route on some of those spots, because I was using the the trail system in that area to get into these spots, and it just wouldn't have worked to take the more direct route. And I get so angry, and so, I used to get so angry and so down on myself when I would say to myself, I'm just going to hunt anyway, or I'm just going to take this route because I'm short on time, or I'm just... Um, and then I would screw myself over and I, then I would really get angry because it's like you knew better and you did it anyway. And now you've paid for it. So how could you have expected any different? And and, and so it, it's more of a sense of like, I don't want to disappoint future bill um, by, by, <laughs> you know, cutting corners now because I'm feeling a little tired or lazy that, and while I've been building this app over the last couple of years, i would gained about 45 pounds and, uh, you know, <laughs> so the extra walk wasn't going to kill me. Unfortunately, I've almost lost it all now, but, um, for a while there, uh, I could find an excuse for a walk and I, and I was dumb if I didn't take it because I needed it. So, I mean, yeah, the, the, all of the, cause really what you're doing is, and I, and I get into this a lot is you're really disrespecting your former self and your former self's work. When you put like all of the time into scouting, all of the time into studying the resources and the gas and the effort and the practice you're crapping all over that if you just decide you're going to roll the dice on the wind and that's kind of the frame that i, I put myself in when i convinced myself well if you want to hunt these deer you're going to have to do this three mile walk um and and you could do a shorter walk and sitting there looking you right in the face but i kind of conceptualize it as i'm not doing former bill any favors and I'm actually crapping all over all of the work that you had done just because you want to cut some corners because there's definitely a part of me that really wants to cut those corners, a very real part of me. Fortunately, I've paid for it. So um, yeah, and and also again, we kind of talked about it earlier. I am a sucker for the suck. Like I just, something about it, like pulling the deer out for me and down the mountain was just as much fun And, and just like, I love it. I love the experience. I love being in it. I love being a part of it. It's one of my favorite things in the world. Obviously it's what, you know, everything that we, we do now surrounds, you know, besides my, my wife and my family, everything else that I'm doing and thinking about revolves around that. And it's the optic that I see everything through. And if I I was on a podcast the other night and he, a guy had asked me um, towards the end of it, um, I think it was called the just one podcast, but he basically asked me at the end, like, what advice do you have for like new hunters or what would you tell new hunters, you know, when it came to scouting or like your lessons learned, or, you know, you've been doing this for a long time, like, what is your biggest thing? And I said, um, essentially what I had said was, and it's kind of been a gut check for me, or at least it was a few years ago that I've gotten past But it was make sure that you're entering into hunting for the right reasons. Because if you're entering in and it's not because it's a moral thing, it is a moral thing, but separately from it being a moral thing is like, do you want to look the part? Do you want to look awesome? Do you want to wear the camo? Do you want to tell the girls that this is what you do or puff your chest out with your buddies and say, this is who I am type of thing? Or do you really wanna get out and, and learn the outdoors and the experience and enjoy nature and have your own meat and, and that you know where it came from and how it was handled and that you're feeding your family with it? Because if, if it's the former, you're gonna set yourself up for failure by just trying to look the part and you're going to make mistakes continually and you're going to end up not wasting your money and your time and your effort And you should just be doing something that you really want to be doing. Whereas if it's the latter and you are there for the right reasons and you've done that gut check, then everything else that you will need to set yourself up for success will come naturally. You'll put the extra work in. You'll you'll you will spend the extra time because you're there for the right reasons. You won't cut corners. Um, You you'll you'll be self-motivated to do the right thing because it's all coming from a genuine place where you're trying to do, where you're, you're trying to um, be the best version of yourself while you're a hunter, I guess is the best way to put it. Yep. And, and if that's the reason why you get into it, you'll be, you'll be guaranteed success because um, success just means learning and putting meat on the table. And like, as long as you're applying yourself, you'll be able to do those things and you'll be able to do it for the right reason and when the chips are down and the going gets tough and you're on your 7th day of not seeing anything you'll say to yourself you know what is the why am i getting out of bed this morning why am i going to go and do this again why am i beating my head against the wall and and if you're doing it for the right reason it makes it all a lot easier whereas if you're doing it for your ego or your self image that you think you have about yourself you're going to sleep in and you're going to cut corners and you're not going to scout when you should be. Um, and so, a lot of people, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm not saying this is a ubiquitous thing, but you'll see a lot of people who will get into it for the wrong reasons. And you'll you'll see I'll recognize them because I made the same mistakes in different aspects of my life, but but also in hunting, where they'll start asking the wrong types of questions or doing the wrong types of things because. For them, it's more about living up to who they think they are or should be, or at least what they want to present themselves as to the world. And that gets you into ethical quandaries. It gets you into moral quandaries. It makes you do things you wouldn't normally do. It makes you act in ways. It makes people break the law or poach or whatever it is. They're doing it because they're trying to live up to a, a construct of themselves that they've fabricated in their mind. And it's allowed them to cut the corners that will A, make you unsuccessful, but if B, you become successful because you've cut the corners, you've now devalued yourself and everyone around you and you've put your integrity on the line. So this is not me, again, like, I hope people don't listen to what I just said and and think Bill Thompson thinks he's better than people in the hunting industry or other people. It's no, I've just done a gut check on what my reasoning is for why I'm here. and I've concluded that I'm, I'm trying to live up and be uh, in this game for the right reasons. And, and, and I think if people do that, it will make the choice between taking the short walk and chancing the wind or the long walk and guaranteeing that you've done and isolated every variable that you can so that now it's just on whether or not the animal is going to show up. Like You've done everything else. You've scouted. You've, you've gotten into shape. You know your gear. You've shot your arrows. You, you can get your tree up. The, you can get up the tree stand in the dark. You, you can do all of that stuff, and you've accounted for all of um, you've accounted for all of the variables. And now it's just going to come down to is the deer going to come there? And it's not going to come down to is the deer coming from where you didn't think it was? Are you um, is the wind not right? Are you did you not did you end up getting tired and not sitting in the tree that you wanted to? Because, you, you, you know, you did take the long way and then you quit halfway. It's all, it's all of that for me. And, and again, this isn't me coming... And I, I'm going to say it the last time and I'll shut up about it. I'm not coming at this from a moral place. I'm coming at this from a honor your own work and, on, and honor the reasons why you're doing what you're doing. Um, and that will inform everything else you do. And I hope that makes sense. I hope this isn't... I'm not losing you. Um,
0: well, no. I and, and Bill, I mean, I think... One other thing that, that I can pull from that as far as like the reasoning it, depending on what your reason is for new hunters, like coming into it. So motivation can only get you so far motivation in any aspect of your life. When you have high motivation, things are good. Like it's easy to get out of bed and go do that thing. Yeah. When you're on day eight, nine, 10, 45, whatever it is. And to, to be able to do that, if you're not doing it for those right reasons and want it for the right reasons, you're not going to do it. And that's just, that's the nature of, and that's what separates those, those different types of people. And also, you know, to, to really give even more credit to what you're talking about with your, with your hike in, I can think of two examples. And personally that I've dealt with where I can remember telling myself, to not take the shortcut and do something different. 2021, I killed that buck opening day. I had a half a mile walk into a tree, the normal spot I'd go, or I had a two mile walk that I had to go through this creek bottom and keep my thermals pulling down and, and being where I didn't think the deer, I thought the deer was going to be up in the cut and come down and across this, this valley. And it's opening day. I'm like, never killed anything on opening day before. You know, do I really need to go through all these extra steps, hike in that early, be in the tree at least an hour before daylight, do all those things. And I remember being like, and I learned this from elk hunting the day I killed my first elk when I had a hike 2,100 feet up in elevation, get up there in the morning. It was like, if I do this right, I may only have to do this once. And so, but taking those steps to do that, you know, I killed that buck that day. And I still haven't told the West Virginia story on here yet, and I'm, I'm not going to go into a ton of detail, but the, the odds of my stock working out were as close to zero as you could possibly be with this deer bedded in the wide open. And I told myself that when I started, I was like, I'm going to have to crawl and only move when the wind blows. And yeah, I'm already out of food, out of water, out of coffee. I was just like, you know, I was in a place where all I wanted to do is go back to my pack and get some snacks and, you know, kind of restart. And I'm like, no, if I do this completely right and I pay attention yeah. to everything, then there's a, there's a chance that it could work out. And, you know, and it ended up doing that, but I can think of scenarios where just here in gun season where Bo wasn't thinking the best way where I was, I I, for, I spent four hours of still hunting and focusing. And going through, and I snuck up on a couple of small bucks like within 20 yards of my gun. I'm like, man, I feel like I'm on top of the world. And then I knew I had to be back for the afternoon uh, to go work on some stuff. And I had a call at like 3 o'clock, and it was like 2 already. And I'm like, holy cow. And I'm like, all right, once I get to the edge of this thick spot here, it's going to be open woods. And I'll just walk quickly, drop down the valley, up the other side of the truck not thinking there's this last point here that I should really creep around and make sure nothing's bedded around it or whatever. What do you know? I get out there, look at my phone, have some notifications, service pops up, I'm like, oh, uh, put it in my pocket and just start walking. And As soon as I started walking, a really nice buck was feeding on black cherries at two o'clock in the afternoon during gun season in a heavily pressured place, like something you wouldn't expect. And he just blows out at like 70 yards in the wide open. And I'm like, you are such an idiot. If you would have just focused on that whole thing from the time you were starting to the end, because that second that you lose that focus is when those things happen. And it's, it's, it's hard. It's easier said than done, but man, I felt like I was reminded of that many times this year on that, that focus and and, and not skipping steps.
1: Yeah. And make no mistake. I still let myself down. (laughs) Like I, I still will constantly do post hoc analysis and say, well, you, you didn't, you, you, you're, you are disrespecting yourself. That's the best yeah. way to put it. Like you're not valuing all of the time that you put into something. Um, you know, If the job's worth doing, then it's worth doing right. And if it's not worth doing right, then just don't do it period. Um, and I fall short of that ideal all the time. Like I'm trying to keep reminding myself that that is the standard that we should live up to um and and really it's not just a hunting thing i try to apply that to my relationships i try to apply that to the way that i do business i try to apply that to the way i'm raising my kids like i tell my daughter the same thing with softball like you know do these things for the right reason and then the discipline and the sacrifice um will all make sense and will help the it, enduring the suck um will 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 be easier i was watching a um thing you know there's this Stuff going around. The other morning, I was drinking my coffee at like 5 a.m. and there was this thing on um, on um, Fox about there's something going viral with kids in the military complaining about the military on like TikTok or something like that. And there and the thing was like, you know, why'd you join the military? Because I hate myself. Why'd you join the military? Because I can't pay for college. Why'd you join the military? Um, and they were just complaining the whole time about the military, and and it was kind of disheartening. Um, but but then you think about it, and it's like you should join because it sucks. Like you are sacrificing, and you want to be part of, you want to sacrifice and make the proper sacrifices because you know they're worth and they're pointed towards a better, higher goal. And with hunting, that means enjoying the enjoying nature first off and being in the outdoors. And and you know, I was on the Field Ethos podcast um, a, a ways back, and and you know. One of the things I'd said there is the same thing I'll say here. The U.S. is the only place where blue collar guys like us and people from our background get to enjoy hunting in the outdoors and own firearms and go and hunt animals or have a bow and go hunt animals. In the rest of the world, everywhere, it's reserved for the rich and the elite and the noble class. If you're going to be in Germany or England and go and hunt, you need to be a lord. You need to own property. You have to have gotten the money to get the guns and, ha- and have them and be, you know, a subject of England has to have a re- you know, money or has to pay money to the government to have a firearm and go and hunt. And only the richest people out there can do it. Um, and here we all get to do it all of the time. It's, it's one of the things that we as Americans, is, it's a uniquely American experience. And so we should show a ton of respect to the pastime that we get to have to do this by doing the right thing no matter what while we're enjoying the outdoors, or try to at least. Um and it's and it and it 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 it's just, you know, it's it's it for me it sums it all up and it kind of crystallizes everything. And then it makes the hard stuff easier. At least for me it does. That's the way I think about it. Is it makes this embracing the suck um it's more fun. And it's you also enjoy telling the stories more in the end. It's kind of like when you're in a school where everyone's in a mud puddle getting a cold water sprayed on them and we're all like in a push-up position and in the moment you're like why am i doing this it's like because i want to serve a higher good and you're like okay i'm just going to keep embracing the suck right now and then when it's all over you get to talk to your buddies about it and laugh and enjoy that moment um that at the time you just wanted to quit and you but you had the reasoning the right substrata to your your method to your madness that kept you in like the cold sand pit getting sprayed at and yelled at at 4 30 in the morning and it sucked at the time but then it's fun to talk about later and laugh about and express later just like we're talking about hunting right now um, we embrace the suck and that um makes the it adds richness the suffering and the sacrifice adds richness to the endeavor that we otherwise wouldn't get
0: yeah. No, man, I don't think I could have explained that any better. I like the I like the reflection on it too and then just and I think we can all take that for granted a lot of times seeing other countries don't have those those experiences or even, you know, even people within our own country that don't have the opportunities or weren't raised that way to be able to have these opportunities and to to go out and do that and that's just that's a really really good perspective to be able to have on it and like and i also just feel like that makes me so grateful for those experiences we get to have at camp and and spending time with others that have the same passion and the same drive to be able to do that and being you know just as happy as like man when when you called and we got to go see your deer like i was absolutely ecstatic as if I were have been the one that had shot that buck and everybody else that was there was the exact same way. And I know you would be the exact same way when that happens with me and Johnny and, and every, and it's just like that and, and surrounding yourself with people that feel that same way and have that same gratitude and everything for it is just, man, it, it I, I feel super blessed. Yeah. hundred percent. It, it
1: really 100%. is one of the best things in the world to be, you know, to, when you, when you do going to Johnny's that night and just, you know, the buck up on the pole and Johnny and I talking about, you know, we're going to get a back strap on the grill and, oh, we should have warmed up the hot tub and had that ready. And we're all like cutting, you know cutting jokes and busting each other's balls and making fun of each other and talking about the buck. And we were taking pictures and everyone's giving each other a hard time. But we're also like all smiling ear to ear. And then, yeah, having Hunter there, I'm sorry, Gunner there to, um, to, uh, uh, grill, uh, slice it up and grill it up and throw it on the grill and the spread that he made. I mean, that night I decided, I don't know if I told you this or not, but Gunner's going to make a digital cookbook for Spartan Forge. Like I've (laughs) been making some of his recipes with the deer that I've killed this season and I can't wait to kill more because I've eaten it all up. Um, we're just going to offer it free probably to our users, but, um, Uh, That night, like everyone's having a great time. Johnny and I stayed up way too late that night, even after you guys left. And then, (laughs) and then we were up the next morning at four, four o'clock. And then John and I went and hunted that next morning and he killed that next morning. I know. And you filmed it. (laughs) And I filmed it. Unbelievable. (laughs) Like just back to back to back. And, and Johnny and I that night were like, Oh, Bill, man, it's, it's, one thirty in the morning and oh man we gotta get up in three and a half hours and we weren't drunk or anything like that but we had i had lost my voice from talking we had been we we did both back straps that night we cooked both back <laughs> and ate them between the six of us and you know and and um that that whole thing and then it, it came to like you know four o'clock There's only, we will be so disappointed in ourselves if during the whitetail rut, we sleep through the morning. Like it wouldn't have, it was not a choice for, neither of us talked about it for a second. The only thing we would do is kind of make fun of each other. We were watching Jeremiah Johnson at like one in the morning. And I was like, you know, we're getting up in three hours, right? He's like, yeah, I know we're getting up in three hours. I'm like, yeah, because if you try to talk me out of it, blah, 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 blah. And we're just talking shit. And sure enough, we got out there the next morning and got up and got into the tree and um. I knew when we got into that tree and Johnny and I both were together and I was just filming for him. I was like, dude, this is a, a bucky morning. Like this is a morning for bucks to be out getting after it. We are going to see a deer. And we saw a ton of deer that morning and two shooters we saw that morning. And, um, Johnny made an excellent shot. Um, and it really ducked his arrow, but it ended up, um, we thought at first, like when we first saw a video, we we're like, oh crap, like that buck loaded up so much. And Johnny was like, man, I think I just hit backstrap. And I was just recording on like this phone right here. And um, I zoomed in and the phone's got like a really good camera. It's a Galaxy S23. I zoomed in and I was like, dude, I think you are like the tip top highest part of the lungs. I mean, like right before you start getting into like no man's territory or the dead zone or you know the back whatever like if someone had said shown me that video just off and just said oh here's a buck i shot high and i never found i'd be like makes total sense like that's yeah. a buck that was shot high and then when we slowed it down and looked at it i was like dude i think there's a chance that you nicked them high lungs on both like there's a chance we should get down and go and look and he's like i don't know bill and i'm like dude i'm lo- looking at this right here on my phone and i think there's a chance So we got down and he filmed it like we were tracking on the ground and he didn't see it at first. And I just started going nuts. And it was like 50 yards in front of us. Um, and it was amazing. It was, it was just, it was amazing. It was amazing. Um, and, uh, and for for me, like I had to get back because my wife was was going, she had colleagues in town and she was going to be going out with friends, colleague friends that night. And, I had been gone for 10 days or eight days, nine days. And I I was, it took everything. I didn't ask her. I didn't ask her, but I so badly wanted to be like, babe, I'm just one more night. One more night. (laughs) Because all I wanted to do was fill up that hot tub and have the back straps on the grill and be out there looking at the buck hanging from that beam and then have you guys, that's all I wanted in the world. But I love my wife more than I love hunting. And so I just said, you know, John, I'm not going to be able to stay. Uh, there's only one thing in the world that is keeping me from staying, and it's not disappointing my wife and guaranteeing that I have future hunts to do this on. So I'm going to just pack up and leave. And he's like, <laughs> Oh, I get, I, I get it, Bill. And I'm like, Yeah, it's, it's, it's got to be what it, um, it's got to be what it is. So I hit the road and uh, got back home, and my wife got to go and see her work colleagues and, um. It was an amazing like three-day, four-day period. I'll never forget it for as long as I live. Um, I'll never forget it. And it was just amazing. And like you said, everyone in, that, in John's kitchen who loves the, – there isn't a group of people who love hunting more than that group of people. Um, we were only short one or two guys. And you're just like in this almost moment where time stands still, and you're just reflecting upon all of the great things that allow us to do this. And then it leads to success, and you get to share it with people who care about it as much as you do. It's, it's, it doesn't, I don't know if, I don't know if that's recreatable in any other facet. I don't,
0: I don't know I, if I haven't
1: either. been able to get there in many other places besides the military.
0: Yeah. Oh, man. That's, that's so awesome. I'll, I'll definitely, you know, never forget those, those couple days. And I almost added to it that, that evening, um, the same day Johnny, Killed where i ended up hitting that one in the shoulder That's and right. i was i was like holy cow that was almost uh you know an even more epic you know a few yeah. day uh window but i obviously had to bring it back down to reality i guess but it was just like it was man that, that night like when i went there i remember picking up my dad and we went there and driving back like man that was that was pretty dang awesome to be able to to see that and, and, and get to experience it and just get to everybody was just laughing the whole time and just, just talking mad shit on each other. Like we like to do. And, uh, it, it was, uh, it was pretty great.
1: Yeah. It was awesome. It was great.
0: Um, but yeah, I, I did, um, before, right before we close this out here, Bill and not, not to go down, uh, any more rabbit holes here, but the one thing I, I want to bring up, and I've brought it up in the podcast before, but the Spartan Forge back in September had a major update to the app that come out. Blue Force Tracker, um, lidar, just improved layout of things, usability, all these different features that have been added to it. But man, like, and I had been using lidar for a while on my test phone. I mean, almost a year ahead of when it was released, but I can't tell you and anyone listening, you need to use LIDAR more, especially in hill country and mountain country, in big woods, anywhere really to be like the the amount, like the one of the biggest tactics that I had used was being able to look at where logging roads intersect and multiple ones of them and be able to know where that's at and be able to, without even stepping foot in there and then yeah. going in actually my buddy, Michael, which I, I think you might've met Michael before. i met Michael. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He sent, he's, he texted me the other day and he's like, Holy shit. He's like, I was, he was going to do deer drives, um, in another part of Pennsylvania and last week, last weekend in rifle season. He's like, Hey, he's like, dude, I kept looking at Spartan forge thinking there was this trail here he's on LIDAR. He's like, There's this trail, and he goes, I'm getting there's just laurel, and you know, I see this deer trail. I'm looking for this trail. He's like, It picked up a deer trail that was big enough, and because it was so steep on this mountain yeah. that these deer had to go on this spot, he's like, It identified a deer trail. He's like, My mind was just blown when when he did that.
1: Yeah, it's awesome, and 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 um, we're really going to make improvements too on the visualization, um, over the off season essentially how people interact and look at those maps and how they load is going to get a lot better um i won't get super deep into it because i don't want to like throw out the um you know i know people listen to this podcast that you know (laughs) have more money than i do to build things quicker than i can but we are going to be doing some really cool visualization with that layer and other layers and stuff we're going to be doing with like um, the way that we present imagery. Um, I know you know, and we can't talk about it, but I know you know about some of the AI stuff, and you've seen the stuff that's coming out. Um, and I know I've been talking about, you know, the AI stuff for a couple of years. But I you know, for your users who maybe or listeners who didn't um, know this, my plan in the beginning was to work with another mapping company. So the AI features that we had built from the beginning. Um, were we're not we we're not able to organically serve them up ourselves on the map and so we ended up having to go back and build the map from the beginning in order to display a lot of these ai features um that we're just getting into now but i know like in a couple of months here or less the first feature is going to uh, make itself available and um from there, it will just keep compounding on top of each other and get and get better and better. So um, I'm really excited about that. But I mean, there are so many more. As much as the app changed from last year going into this year, which I think, you know, we really went from like what I would call a 30 or 40% solution. I would say we're now at like the 75, 80% solution. Whereas I think a lot of the other mapping apps on the on the market are at like 70 or 60%. Um, Some of them might have a little bit more data than we do, but that's about it. Um, But as far as how you interact with the map, how you display things, the reliability, the usability, the user experience, I would say we're in that 75 to 80 percent territory. And we're going to get up into the 90, 95 percent territory here over the next year. And the options, the features, the integrations, the AIs that we're coming out with, and then the visualization of the map. The year, you know, I can say this, you know, there's gonna be 10 years of one meter historical imagery coming out here really soon. Um, we're still one of the cheapest price points on the, on the market um, for this data. So, you know, all of that really excites me. Um, and we're doing this with a team that's, you know, smaller than the finance team on some of these other apps. You know, just, you know, the administrative arm of some of these other applications is larger than our entire team. And it's something that we really all hang our hats on and we're really proud about. And we're going to continue pushing capacity and putting out stuff that people haven't even. I think and I think you would agree with this because you've seen some of it. The features that we're putting out soon, I don't even think people have conceptualized or things that can be done right now or the way that we interact with this, with what we're testing right now. I don't think people um, I think people are going to look at it like it's wizardry. I I really do. I think people are going to look at it like this is impossible. How do they do this? Um, And so I'm really excited to come out with that stuff and kind of get it out there.
0: Yeah, man, I'm excited for everybody to see it. And, and, you know, I've seen a lot of it and there's still more that I haven't seen yet. And I just I'm I'm super excited about it. And so, Bill, I, I really appreciate you coming on, taking the time out of your busy schedule here to talk on the podcast, tell some stories, man, it was fun.
1: Yeah, me too. Thanks again,
0: Bo. Yep. Everybody go check out the app, spartanforge.ai. Follow SpartanForge and all the social media platforms. And as always, use the code East Meets West. Save yourself 20% off of the app. You don't like it in 14 days. Send Bill uh, you know, an emoji with the middle finger up and give your money back. You're done. Yep. Or there's a 14 day free trial. But, anyways. Yep. yep. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Bill. Thanks again.